Amen. We're going to open with Matthew chapter 26. And uh, this week we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus prayed when facing trials. So we talked about uh, Jesus prayed when facing big choices. Jesus prayed when he faced rejection. And uh, last week's kind of, uh, it plays into this week's as well uh, with some of the stories that were mentioned. This week is Jesus prayed when he was facing trials. And so we read from Matthew chapter 26 verses or chapter 26, verse 36 through 44. And it said, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you that's crossed your mind before as you've decided, This is the week I'm going to wake up early and pray. And as those weird dreams where you're semi-awake and semi-asleep pass your mind, you realize that the flesh is definitely weak. Or is that just me? I've been having some weird dreams lately, not during prayer time, but I've had some weird dreams lately. We won't get into that. Not yet, anyway. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Isn't that a little comforting that Jesus felt like he had to repeat his prayers a few times? (laughs) How many of you think, well, I've already prayed that. Jesus repeated his prayer again. But as we look at Jesus, I'm sure that he could see still in his mind's eye the picture that had just taken place, uh, the the circumstances that had just happened, that he and his disciples had been gathered together in an upper room, and it was supposed to be a time of celebration. They were celebrating the Passover, a time of remembrance, Uh, Jesus knowing as well that this uh, would be, as we now call it very often, the Last Supper. Now, his disciples did not realize that that when they entered, and uh, they just entered thinking they were celebrating the Passover, but Jesus realizes that this is one of the last times he will see his disciples all gathered together. As the evening progresses, Jesus, well, he spoke to the 12 men gathered with him, and he said, one of you is going to betray me. Of course, there's shock and confusion and consternation and I'm sure a clamor of voices and they were surprised thinking that who could uh, betray Jesus and everyone felt that way except for one, of course. And this is definitely not what they had expected to hear when they came together to celebrate the Passover that somebody is about to betray Jesus. As one voice, they begin to ask, is it me? Now, <laughs> that, that, that's like a whole confusing thing right there that they asked is it me they didn't know if they were the one that was going to betray Jesus that's a little confusing there you can ponder that for a while that just shows us well anyway well you can just ponder that for a few moments there was a, a, a an uproar as the men looked around each other wondering just who it could be that was going to betray Jesus Jesus quickly settled the issue by saying, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And it was then that Judas looked at Jesus and asked, Is it me? 
And the response came quickly, thou hast said. Jesus, I'm sure, was reflecting on that conversation even in the garden. And after traveling for three and a half years with someone, I'm sure there was a a closeness, even despite the fact that he was going to be betrayed. And I'm sure he could feel the pain and hurt of rejection, which we talked about last week all over again. And he had invested time into Judas. He had invested energy. He had invested all kinds of things in the life of Judas. And he brought him into the inner circle. There was a large gathering of disciples, and we talked about that when Jesus faced a, uh, big choices, that there was a moment when he decided these are the 12, and he had called out Judas from amongst the crowd that was following him and said, I want you to be one of the 12. And so he had allowed Judas to be an eyewitness to the miraculous. He had, he had given him the opportunity to know Jesus in a way that few people in history would ever know Jesus. They had eaten together, traveled together, laughed together. And yet after all that, for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave, Judas sold out Jesus in the ultimate act of betrayal and rejection. For Jesus, we know that this was the start of one of the greatest trials that, uh, the greatest trial that he would ever face as a man. Most people in that situation would probably allow anger and hurt of such rejection to begin to build inside of them. I know that that's not you and I, that we don't let anger and hurt and rejection build inside of us, but some people do. The inner turmoil and frustration could have been overwhelming for a person to endure, and it would truly be far easier in that circumstance to lash out and tell anyone who would listen. Jesus could have easily fallen prey to the same thing. He could have allowed the rejection to just overwhelm him and begin to distract him from his purpose. Instead, he chose the best response to rejection in a trial. He took the time to pray. He knew the only way to get past the wounds and hurt feelings of the situation was to find an altar and pour himself out in prayer. That's the life lesson right there. The only way to get past the wounds and hurt feelings, whatever you're feeling, the only time to really do that is to find an altar and pour yourself out in prayer. He knew prayer would allow him to gain the proper perspective on those who had and who would continue to betray him. So Jesus prays that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, that famous prayer that I'm sure uh, most people uh, could, could say, not as I will, but as thou will. I'm sure you've heard that. And in, in the midst of trials, Jesus prayed when he faced a trial. And in the midst of trials, we have to seek to embrace God's will and purpose for the trial, knowing his purpose and plan is greater than what we may be able to see at the moment. We have to embrace God's will and purpose for the trial. Now, you know, when we talk about trials and bad situations and things come our way, it's a whole lot easier said than done. We understand that. It's a whole lot easier to say, you know what, in the middle of your rough circumstance, you need to just embrace that. Well, (laughs) yeah, I understand that's hard to say. We've all faced trials. We all know those things in the back of our mind. And and this is really what it comes to because uh, there's a lot of things that we know, but then when the situation hits and we have to put in practice what we know, that's when, that's when it really hits. That's when we realize, okay, those were just words. And James says, faith without works is dead. So I can't just say, I know everything works. Well, let's... I think we could all agree that one of the most difficult things to do in a trial and a situation that's testing us is this, is to rise above our emotions. And remember God's purpose for us. In the midst of a trial, man, 
you can, all kind of emotions take place, and we're going to hit that in just a minute. But in the midst of every trial we go through, we have to keep in mind what we know to be true, what we've read in Scripture, what we've heard preached, what we've read ourselves in Scripture, that there is, there is a higher purpose that God is working in our life. We have to remember that. We, and, and in those situations, we tend to, our, our vision gets narrow. We get tunnel vision. We can't see past the end of our nose, however you want to say it. But when we're in that circumstance, we begin to forget and we allow the situations to cloud those things out. And it is natural during the, those times and And I know that your spouse gets this way, but you don't, that you get hypersensitive (laughs) during those times. But if we're not careful, we're going to miss the fact that God could be using the trial or test to work His purpose in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, again, another familiar passage, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, I think this is, it's a shame because I think that there's some really good verses that become really common and people uh, uh, use them as, 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 as crafting verses to put on old pieces of barn wood and sell in Hobby Lobby and put on Pinterest and they almost become a cliche. I know that, all things for your call of purpose, yeah, okay. Oh, it's half off at Hobby Lobby this week, I guess I'll get it for the bathroom, No. <laughs> But, but they really almost become a cliche. It becomes like a throwaway statement. Yeah, yeah, I know that. You don't even really listen. But the reason that it, that, that it started out that way is because it is a powerful verse. And we can't just allow these things to become, uh, and, and someone said this once, and I try to watch it, saying a familiar scripture. Because some things don't need to become familiar. They don't need to be any less. Because sometimes when things become familiar, they start to lose their power. Now, I think, I think they should be things that we know, and, and that's, that's the line, you know, whatever. But I, I think this is one of those verses where we all know that verse, or we know some uh, uh, paraphrase of that verse, but it is a powerful verse that we need to remember and hold on to in the middle of a trial, that it's not a throwaway statement. Because if, if we are loving God, then there is a reason, uh, and, and God may not have sent the trial exactly, but God can still do something in the middle of the trial. God can still pull something out. The problem is, is that most of the times we don't know how it's all going to work out. There's situations I've been in in my life where there is, I was like, there's no way God could use this. There's no way. There's situations that I still don't know how God used them. <laughs> Still has an answer to that. Maybe someone else could look at my life and say, well, this is what happened in your life. But I have to, in those moments, trust that if I'm loving God, that God is working something according to his purpose. We know with a certainty that everything we go through is working for our good, but like many things, we can know it in our heads, but not feel it in our hearts and spirits. That's where the problem comes in, right? We know it in our head, but we don't feel it. Okay? Now, I do want to say, because uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about feelings, is that uh, uh, feelings are not of the devil. Okay? It wasn't that when uh, sin entered the world, all of a sudden we had feeling. Okay? God created us with feelings. Okay? Now, we understand that I cannot uh, live my life based solely on feeling, but neither can I ignore all feeling because it is something that God gave me. So I have to figure out, okay... I need to deal with the feelings I have sometimes. And during times of adversity and trial, 
We mentioned a little bit, we'll look at it a little bit more here. Our emotions can get the best of us. Our emotions can get the best of us. So just throwing it out there, uh, what are some of the emotions that we can begin to experience when we hit a trial, when we hit a rough spot? What are some of the emotions we, we can feel? Silence, yeah. Fear? Oh, unfair, yes. Hopelessness, anger. Yeah. I think sometimes with the unfairness, self-righteousness, why is this happening to me? You know, it's not fair. Uh, we, we find that anger, rejection, all these, all these different things that can lead to... And, and, and it is impossible for us to say, well, I'm just going to enter this situ- situation emotionless. That's not going to happen. You are not going to enter into a trial and just erase your emotions. That is impossible. Okay? Now, there are some people that may be able to control their emotions better, but it, it is not a goal to become emotionless. Okay? That, that is, is not a goal because God gave me emotions. I, I'm supposed to control them. And, and the way that I control them and bring my emotions into check is by the Holy Ghost. One of the gifts of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. That, that applies to my emotions. That, that applies to I don't have to fly off the handle anymore. That applies that I don't have to go uh, from, from the, the highest of highs and all of a sudden I'm in the depths of despair. The Holy Ghost can help you in those moments. Well, that's my personality. I, I, I like personality tests. I, I like learning about myself. and Well, actually, I don't really, but... Uh, <laughs> Those personality tests are real good when you just read the good things about yourself. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, that that's all fine and I can work on certain things, but the power of the Holy Ghost cannot be minimized. We understand that the Holy Ghost is not just a ticket for salvation. It is part of a new birth experience. However, the Holy Ghost should continue to play a part in my life. And even though I may not be able to change certain parts of me, I can put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. I can put it under the power of the Holy Ghost. And He can change things in my life. God can begin to direct my responses. Because most of the time, this says we don't always, I would say 99% of the time, we do not see the picture the same way that God does. We don't. He knows, he sees how a particular trial is going to end up and the result, and he sees the purpose that is coming to pass in our lives, even though I don't. And so when I begin to respond with my human emotions in the middle of a divine plan that's happening, very often I could find myself actually working against what God's trying to do. Now, easier said than done, Right? Well, I'm just going to continue to let bad things happen to me and just love it. Because, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's hard. That's really hard. But you see, what happens too is when I don't begin to control my feelings, my feelings begin to create a narrative. How many of you ever created a narrative in your head? You've made up a story in your head about that situation, about that person, about what they said or didn't say or what happened or didn't happen. And you've got yourself all the way over here. And they were simply, the, simply the reason they didn't say anything is because they were walking past you. They'd just come out of the kitchen. they just crammed a whole biscuit in their mouth. And they were actually trying to be polite and not spray you with biscuit. And you've got a whole narrative in your head about how they hate your guts, how, you, you know, you're... <laughs> You know, I'm moving to the other side of the church. I know that's a little extreme, but you know, maybe it's not. 
But our feelings start to create a narrative. Our feelings start to assume things and put words in people's mouths and thoughts in their heads that we don't know. See, that's when I need the Holy Ghost to say, hold on a minute. Just hold on a minute. You know, maybe that, we talk about it with the news, but maybe that verse, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, maybe I need to insert that verse into my narratives. If I'm going to go down this path, maybe I just need to stop and start thinking about some good things, like how good the biscuit was. Prayers and necessity during trials, okay? While there's many actions a person can take during a trial, it is always necessary to take time to pray. Now, I highlighted to take time, which is not the highlight of that verse, but I think it should be, because very often we just do not take the time to pray. I don't know how many times in my life I have thought, okay, that's just what I need to say and say it when it would have been a whole lot better to take some time to pray about it. But I didn't have time. You know, that's one thing about our society that not just younger people, but all of us feel, uh, is, is the crunch of time. We think everything is now. And that is not just something that's happened in the last five years. Uh, if you could talk to your grandparents or great-grandparents, they would be amazed at how crunched up your time is and how harried and... and not Harry, Harried, how hairy we all are. No, the urgency that when someone texts me, I've got to look at it immediately and I've got to respond right away. And I've got, and, and, and I understand there's, you know, etiquettes change, you know, because we've got texting now, but you ever thought, you know, back in the day when you had to get a hold of someone and you're like, I've got to get hold of them now. And you've got to find a pay phone if it's that desperate. I mean, what did we do? How did we pass information? Somehow, that important stuff waited. Like, this just happened. I've got to text it right now. Well, what would have happened 30 years ago? What happens in, with Todd Ambule just three years ago? <laughs> you still had to send up smoke signals for Todd. <laughs> Carrier pigeons. I mean, what would happen? Well, I've got to send this that so-and-so sick or this situation. And I understand. I, I'm not saying that you've got to, well, something bad happened. I've got to wait two days now. No. But were things less urgent? Was sickness and, and, and circumstances less urgent? No, we had to figure out. Anyway, now I sound like an old man. We've got to take time. Sometimes it's better before we text to take time and pray about it. I was, I was reading, uh, and, and this, this gets to it as well. Sometimes, this is not spiritual. Okay? It is, but it's not. <laughs> sometimes it's good for me to pray, and sometimes it's good for me to pray out loud and just to hear myself say what I'm thinking. Because <laughs> sometimes I don't need God to tell me that's dumb. Sometimes I just need to say it out loud. Now, I, I, I read a book, one book in my life, and it was about this submarine captain, and it, I won't go into all the detail, but it, it, he took the ship that was the worst in the U.S. Naval Fleet and made it the best in the span of about 18 months, and it continued after he left to be the best performing uh, submarine in the Navy. And one of the things he said was that they, were, you know, they had all these check systems they had to go through for different times, and he said they were finding a lot of mistakes, and it wasn't because people didn't know, it's because they were rushing and they were hurrying things. And so it, it was a rule that he said took a little bit because you're dealing with you know, uh, uh, people in the Navy, grown men who, uh, or women too, I guess, 
This would seem really dumb. But before they do, did anything, they would have to say it out loud. So they would have to say, I'm going to turn this valve and then turn it. They couldn't just turn it. He said, and it was amazing what simply saying it out loud because they realize sometimes, well, wait, I don't need to do that. That's not what I need to do. They weren't praying. They were just saying it out loud. And the, the, the amount of, uh, of, of mistakes, I don't know what the correct term is, but I'll just call it mistakes, or the failures on the checklist dropped drastically just by people saying what they were going to do before they did it. And he said, before I wrote a memo, I would read the entire thing before I sent it. <laughs> How many of you have ever sent a text or an email and you're like, you sent and you're like, whoops, should have read that a little bit better. Not just talking about autocorrect. Well, that may be true as well. Sometimes we just need to take the time to pray. And some, David says I, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes I can correct myself because I've said some things and once I've said them out loud in prayer to God, I'm like, that's really, really, really dumb. And I didn't even need God to speak to me. But we've got to take that time. Before our emotions get a hold of us, instead of just becoming frustrated, taking the time to pray. Instead of lashing out in anger, taking the time to pray. Instead of giving way to depression or despondency or anxiety, taking the time to pray about it first. And I would like to take a phrase that, that you may have told your kids. It says, if you can't say something nice, don't. Okay, let's change that. Let's say, if you can't say something nice, pray. <laughs> Why don't you pray about it? Quit bawling up inside and just pray about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The example that Jesus gives us proves that prayer is a necessity during times of trial. Being God manifest in the flesh didn't stop him from being tested. So you will be tested too. Neither, neither did it exempt him from the same types of trials that we go through, and it didn't exempt him from struggling with the same feelings and emotions that we do during such times. Jesus had to pray the prayer, not my will, but thine be done. He, it said he was sorrowful, he told his disciples, he was sorrowful even unto death. That's how upset he was. That's not just like, oh boy, well, I guess I've got to go to the cross now. And we know the verse, and we're going to look at it in a little bit, where it says, for the joy set before him. But he still was sorrowful unto death in the middle of it. And you know what he did? He prayed about it. He prayed about it. On that night, Judas betrayed Jesus. On that night, it would have been easy for Jesus to lash out in anger at Judas. I mean, come on now. Come on. I'm 33 years old. That's not me. This is me speaking for Jesus. I don't know if this is correct or not this is me speaking if I was Jesus I like doing that because then I get to see how dumb I am if I was Jesus and I'd done all these miracles and forgiven all these sins and I'm about to go to the cross for all of mankind surely surely when Judas comes up to kiss me and he steps back would it not be all right just to pop him once just once I mean and then forgive myself (laughs) and then go die for all of mankind I mean come on wouldn't that have been all right (laughs) or just to say are you kidding me are you for real are you for real after all that I've done for you after all that I've invested for you after I let you carry the money 
After I did all of these things for you, this is what you're doing, for real. Maybe not punch him, but just, just at least ask him a bunch of rhetorical questions to make him feel really bad. Now he, he healed a guy's ear that night. <laughs> I mean, he didn't even have to do that. He'd have been fine just leaving the ear on the ground. <clears throat> Bidwell, no, that's a... <laughs> there might be a few people that understand that. If you do, you need to go pray through. <laughs> on that night that, Jesus be, that Judas betrayed Jesus, he, he could have lashed out in anger. He, he, he could have chosen to view such a test as being unfair. That it's one of my disciples. I could have taken it if it was someone else, but it's one of my disciples, and I've got to heal this guy's ear. In his humanity, he could have become frustrated with the whole situation. And, but Jesus was showing us by example that during times of trial and testing, we have to find a place of prayer. And he faced the same struggle between flesh and spirit that we do. His emotions were just as human as ours. They were. You, you have to, and that's the miracle of Jesus Christ, that he's fully God and fully man. The thoughts that went through his mind were probably similar to some of ours. And, and there's, there's a debate that people have about whether Jesus could have actually sinned or not. To, to me, I... I, I I think that Jesus faced choices, and he faces a choice in the garden. It's exemplified by his prayer, not my will, but thine be done, that he could have chose his will. And to me, that lets me see that his humanity was just as real as mine, that, that even though he was fully God, that he still experienced that range of emotions, and he was frustrated, he got angry, he was sorrowful, and he had to, he had to deal with those things. But it also allows me to see Jesus not just as God, but as a real example. That's what it does for me. Because if Jesus could not have sinned, he's not my example. Because I have sinned, I'm going to try not to, but I may sin in the future. I may at least offend somebody. I may at least say something that I regret in the future. That's, that's a distinct possibility. But when I see Jesus experience similar feelings to me, and I see the struggle that he went through, then I begin to realize this is how he went through it, and I can conquer it too. Instead of responding to his flesh, Jesus responded to the Spirit, and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to spend some time in prayer. So he didn't respond to his flesh, he responded to the Spirit. And it was here that he surrendered his human will to the will of the Father. And it was here in prayer, it was in prayer, that he reestablished his purpose. The real choice was, is am I going to continue following what I've been called to do, or am I going to back away because of the sorrow, the, the, the physical pain I know is coming, uh, the, the rejection that I felt, the anger, the frustration, whatever it may be, he was faced with that choice. And prayer reestablished his purpose. You see, that's really, that's perspective is what it is. That, that even though I may not be able to see exactly what God sees after prayer, I believe that through prayer we can reestablish what God is wanting to do in our life, what he has called us to do, his purpose for our life. He was showing us that there was a, a, a greater purpose to our trials than just what we are going through in that moment. And Jesus, uh, as he prayed, the one verse says that as he prayed, he, there was... Uh, uh, sweat like as of great drops of blood that there was a deep prayer taking place and I think the power of intercessory prayer is invaluable during trials that it's 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 
And if you've ever really prayed for something, you may have experienced intercessory prayer where it's something deeper than just uh, uh, maybe your, your everyday devotional prayer or something that you experience in church. We know there's different kinds of prayer, different levels of prayer, but we find that this intercessory prayer where, where and I know we think of this many times as for someone else, but I believe that we can intercede for ourselves as well. We can intercede for a situation that we're facing. And the power of intercessory prayer is that during our hardest trials, the Spirit will pray through us to help us pray when we don't know how to pray. Now again, like I said, I've thought of this in in terms of other people, that I don't know how to pray for someone, and so I begin to intercede on their behalf. But uh, what about if I apply that to myself? That There's moments and there's trials or circumstances when I don't even know what to say to God. I I don't know. I've tried... um, I've tried for several years uh, to at least be honest with God. <laughs> it's, it's good not to lie to him. Because um, he knows the truth anyway. <laughs> but I've, I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe not full on lying, but I wonder sometimes how many white lies we've told God. Hedge the truth a little bit. But if he's the one that can really take care of my problem, if he's the one that can really uh, give me what I, what I need, whether it's strength, whatever it is, I think I should be honest with him. And sometimes that's not really easy. There, and there's been moments when, when I've been in circumstances or faced things and I've just simply said, Lord, I don't even know what to, I don't know what to say. I mean, like, I need help. I don't know how, don't know how it's going to work out, got no clue. Just, all right, this is prayer, so it's two ways, so it's your turn. I've said my piece. What are you going to say? Sorry, I'm trying not to succumb to the flesh and continue in the spirit. The flesh is sending thoughts through my head. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. So this is right before all things work together for good. Two verses before. Paul says this, Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered says, helpeth us, man, I'm just going to qu- drop the King James, helps us in our infirmities and makes intercession for us. That the Holy Ghost is inside of me for another reason, not just to help with my emotions, but to pray for me. God knows what I need. The Spirit knows how I need to pray. Go for it. The Spirit knows how I need to pray. It knows my infirmities. And so I need to realize that the Spirit and the power of God can pray what I don't even know to pray. And that sometimes I may not be interceding for anything else. I may actually be interceding for myself. So I want us to think about that as we talk about what the Spirit does inside of me. Because I do think that... that, um, I feel like the Holy Ghost is a part of the new birth experience. However, I feel like part of that experience that that we highlight is the start of a journey. And so if all I experience is what I experience at the start and the Spirit doesn't start to do more in me, I'm missing out on, on what the Spirit can do. And I think this is a part of it. That I need to realize that I can begin to intercede for myself. That I can begin to pray for myself even when I don't know how to pray. That the Spirit can pray. And Paul is telling us that it's in those moments when there's a loss of words, when, when, when I don't really know that the Spirit can take over. 
Now, often this doesn't happen when I rush into prayer, but when I sometimes have to press my way into the presence of God. And, and simply put, pressing my way into the presence of God in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a bad circumstance, really means I've got to get past my thoughts and my feelings. Simply what it means. There's plenty of verses that talk about uh, casting down our imagination and every high thing and everything which exalts itself. And, and, and we think, well, that's all this other stuff. Well, my trial can begin to exalt itself over God. My situation can be, can be a distraction, can be a hindrance, can, can lift itself up above. That, and, and, and we experience that. There's times we've all come into church and we've had to make a mental, uh, a conscious mental decision that I'm going to set this aside and lift my hands and worship. Because not every time does the Spirit gather you up in angel's wings and, and, and give you a good head start on your run around the church. It doesn't always just lift your hands up and you start levitating off the ground and then make you say... No, sometimes that is a conscious act of will that you have had the worst week of your life and you have to make a choice. And that choice is the same as Jesus had to make, not my will, but thine be done. So that's really what pressing my way into the presence of God is, is setting aside my thoughts and feelings. Now, and the best way to deal with those thoughts and feelings is to get into the presence of God. That's why all the verses that say he'll take your mourning and turn it into gladness, that doesn't happen any other way but in his presence. So I can figure out all kinds of ways, I can listen to all kinds of sermons, I can read all kinds of books, but the presence of God is where I can take tears and turn them into joy. That's the only place that I can do that. And so I understand, well, I don't know how lifting my hands, I don't know how worshiping today is going to do anything. I don't either. Because I don't know exactly how the presence of God works, but I do know what Scripture says. And it says, if I cast my cares upon Him, if I bring my needs to Him, somehow He can take my feelings that I'm struggling with, and all of a sudden, where there was anxiety, I can have peace. And I don't know how that works, but I know that's what the presence of God can do. So I'm going to push my way into that place. The Spirit begins to speak through us with groanings and utterings we don't understand. That doesn't just mean it's morning time. <laughs> man, my, my wife set her alarm on her phone the other morning. Oh, man, that was so loud. And this is what's meant by the Spirit itself making intercession for us. It means that we've entered into a place of prayer where the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. Again, we don't have any idea how we should pray it sometimes, but God does. Because He knows the end from the beginning. So here's, here's how I would pray because I don't know the end. I know my present. This is, if I'm in a rough circumstance and I pray according to the flesh, here will be my prayer 99.9% of the time. Lord, get me out of this. Because my flesh never wants to say, oh, keep me in the suffering. Unless you have a martyr complex and we won't talk about that. But the Spirit knows the end. God knows the end. God knows what He's trying to work out. So when I pray in the Spirit, while my flesh is saying, get me out of this, the Spirit may be praying, Lord, give him the strength. Give him the endurance. Give him the patience. <laughs> because God is trying to get me to this end. Anyway, maybe that's what you're praying right now about this lesson. Maybe we all just need to pray in the Spirit and it'll be done before you know it. Prayer helps us to endure the trials of life while remaining focused on His purpose 
for our lives. Prayer is not guaranteed to deliver us instantly from our trials. If you've prayed once, you know that. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card that whenever we're in trouble, we pray and we're out of jail. No. In fact, we know that prayer a lot of times doesn't change the circumstance, it changes us. But prayer, like I just said, can give us the strength and the focus we need to endure the trial, regardless of how difficult it may get or how long it may last. Prayer will help us look beyond the trial and find the purpose. Prayer does that. It helps us look beyond the trial and find the purpose. It helps us to see with spiritual eyes. There's so many times in Scripture, it's a nice, uh, not real hard study, but just begin to look at uh, Paul when, when he received the Holy Ghost, scales dropped from his eyes because he saw religion as one way. Scales dropped from his eyes. You begin to look at uh, in the churches or the church of Laodicea, they needed their eyes anointed with eye salve. Is it salve or salve or Vicks? They needed Vicks rubbed over their eyes. But prayer can help us see with spiritual eyes. It can help me look at situations and see something completely different. I can't do that naturally. I can think, oh, you should see that person better. You should see the good. You should. I can, I can do that and I can work at it, but the Spirit can do a work in me where I actually do it. The natural eye sees what we're going through and asks, why does this have to happen to me? The spiritual eye sees what we're going through and asks, what good can come from this happening to me? Oh, boy. Don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to be in the middle and say, what good can come out of this? And that, oh, I'd just rather say, why is this happening to me? I need spiritual eyes for that. And so a regular season of prayer during tests and trials that come our way will help us not be so focused on our feelings and emotions. I want to turn your attention to James chapter 1 in verse 5. James chapter 1 in verse 5. It says, okay, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, all right, let's all raise our hand. No. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. This is a verse I held on to during every final Lord, you know from the way that I've conducted myself this school year that I lack wisdom. It is apparent to all. But if any man lacks, there will be no upbraiding. You won't be mad. You'll just give me the answers. And then the Lord brings to your remembrance that if in doubt on the biology test, that if you answer all A's, you will get at least 25%. (laughs) But that's not just talking about if you're not smart, he'll help you be smarter. Because the first part of that, (laughs) let's read verse 2. One of the worst verses in all of Scripture. It's not going to be up there. You'll just have to listen to it. My brethren. Okay, so oh, my brethren. Oh, this is going to be great uplifting count it all joy when you fall into various trials let's rip that right out knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience well i don't need any more of that but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of god who gives it to all liberally without reproach and it will be given to him Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You see, this verse is talking about when I'm in trial. It's not just when I'm, you know, I need to know the answer to the multiple choice question. It's talking about when I'm in trial, that God can give me wisdom. It may not be the answer, but he can give me wisdom to understand a little bit more, a little bit bigger picture about my trial. 
that it's not just about my present circumstances, that patience is working something. It says a perfect work that God, and if you've been in James class or anything, I've gone over this a bunch of times. But patience is, God has a perfect plan for your life, for every single person here. He has a plan and a purpose laid out for your life right now. He has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this world. It doesn't matter where they are right now. And uh, trials and suffering produce patience, and patience has a perfect work. And so if I don't want to mess up what God's doing, I might need to, instead of saying, God, get me out of this, I might need to pray for some wisdom about what God is doing in my life so I can see the perfect work achieved. You see, it's no different. Uh, My kids, uh, you know, kids think that you can just do something. That you can can just be a a, a great soccer player like me just because, just because. But we all know that you don't get better at anything without practice. You don't get better at anything without failing. And it's no different in your walk with God. You don't just wake up and you're this spiritual giant intercessing, soul winning, whatever else you think is real spiritual. No. Very often if there's someone that you look up to, and you admire something about their faith or their walk with God, if you will find out their story, there has been a moment of trial, suffering, and patience, and that's produced something in their life. Where's the end of this lesson? So prayer will help us see with spiritual eyes and find purpose, and it has a way of lifting our eyes. Hebrews chapter 12 It talks about laying aside every weight in the sin which can so easily beset us or sidetrack us. And that could be my circumstance. It could be my trial. It could be my present circumstance. I don't know if you've ever run a race before, but there comes a moment when, if it's a longer race, you think you just might die. (laughs) Uh, I used to to run some track back in the day. Don't anymore. Tried it once. Pulled my hamstring. (laughs) I'm done with that. But I used to run short distances, uh, 100 meters. And uh, my coach put me in for the 400 meters one time in a competition. I was like, what in the world? That's four times as long. Did you not realize that? 200 meters in, I thought I was going to die. I did. I thought, I'm, I'm going to finish. But when I get to the end, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to cross the line and die. That's it. <laughs> And in that moment, and that's the way life can be sometimes. In that moment, you think, I- I'm just not going to do it. I can't handle this. I've run these races before, but this race is a little bit different. And he tells us we've got to lay aside every weight in the sin. We've got to lay aside our present circumstance. We've got to do all these things, and we have to keep our eyes on the finish line. Keep our eyes on the finish line. Not just to what is happening right now. The writer of Hebrews again points to Jesus as our example in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, an example, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Understand, joy is in there, but enduring is not a joyous word. Despising the shame. Ooh, I want, I want bunches of shame in my life. I've got it, but no. And it said at the right hand of the throne of God. We take the joy and throne of God and drop the endure and shame part who for the joy that was set before him, he, he refused to allow how he felt in the middle of the race to deny him finishing the race. 
He knew that there would be something, that the shame that was brought upon him, all of those, there was a joy that was still set before him. And in fact, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul says, for I reckon, that's for all of the people in South Central Illinois, he said, for I reckon, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I think about trials and circumstances, and then I begin to think of their trials and circumstances. And he knows what he's talking about when he says sufferings. It's not some guy sitting in some high palace that's got nothing going on around him. No, this is a guy who knows trials and sufferings. And we don't need to read the verses about how many times he was beaten, stoned, and running around naked. What was he doing running around naked? But he says the sufferings of this present time they can't even compare to the glory what's going, that is going to be revealed in us because you see ultimately that is the perfect end is heaven understanding that all things work together for good helps us pray through our trials and gain God's perspective understanding all things work together for good helps me pray and gain God's perspective you see because in the middle of a trial a right perspective can easily be lost there's moments when uh, <laughs> How many of you have ever heard a sermon on the Sunday or maybe the week before and then like, like okay, that's why that was preached because I didn't think I needed it then, but uh, this week I need that. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. There, there's been times when I, I, I've been going to preach and, and I've had a thought and been thinking about it and I'm like, okay, now I know why I had that thought because that's happening right now that that message is for me first before anyone else because I need to realize that. And in the middle of those things, that perspective can be lost when trials come our way, that we can lose the perspective. We can forget the things that we know. We can forget that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, that he's a friend that sticks close. We can forget these things in the moment. But if we take the time to step back and pray, God will uh, allow us to begin to gain perspective on what is happening in our life. And without perspective, our trials, and here it is, become a distraction. We've already talked about this before. Our trials become a distraction. And our personal and spiritual lives can quickly become imbalanced as we try to figure out why we're going through so much. We've all done it. Lord, I place it in your hands, and then we go try and figure it out. We've all done it. And it consumes us. Lord, I trust you, I believe you, here it is, I place it in your hands, we spend the whole next week trying to figure it out. Now, does that mean that I just say, well, here it is, God, and you sit back and do nothing? Well, the first thing you should do is listen for the voice of God, he might tell you to do something. But our lives quickly become imbalanced as we try to figure out why we're going through all this, and we can become consumed with trying to find a way out of our present circumstance. And we become so consumed that really it begins to affect our prayers And we don't even begin to pray like we should. We know in those moments, that's when we really need to pray. Our worship becomes ritual, becomes hollow. Our response to the word of God can just become, well, not getting anything out of it anyway. Not praying while going through a trial, it'll affect a person's spirit in a negative way. Without remaining full of the Holy Ghost, we're going to fall prey to temptation during times of testing. There's people... There's people that have experienced trials and because their walk with God suffered during that trial, they ended up walking away from God. Because when I'm not praying in my low points, man, that's just easy prey for the enemy. I'm already weak. I'm already going through a a, a rough time. And that's when he loves to come in 
and add all those questions of unfairness and, and, and I know our emotions of God, but the enemy loves to play on our emotions. And he'll ratchet all those up and you'll get all those narratives going and before long, you're like, well, I don't even need to go to church today or I've got too much to do today or I'm not getting anything out of it anyway. Begin to walk away from God. If you don't remain focused on the purpose of God for your life, that God has a purpose and that this trial, this test may be a part of it. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Hopefully you you knew to some degree that when you're going through a rough time, you should pray. But maybe we get a little more insight about why I should pray. That I'm praying for, that I need to let the Spirit pray for me sometimes. That I need to allow the Holy Ghost inside of me to make intercession for myself. And that also I'm praying for perspective. In fact, and I, I know you're standing. I don't want you to have to stand a long time. But whenever the glory of God shows up in the Old Testament, if you read in Solomon's temple, the glory of God fell. It says everybody was laid out. The, the, you know it was really good because the ministers couldn't minister, the preachers couldn't preach, the musicians couldn't play. You know it's the Spirit of God. They said, come to the keyboard, and Sherry couldn't. She just couldn't. But it's in those moments when God's glory hits if you look at this in scripture, it's when his glory hits that suddenly I find perspective. And that's really what I need in my trial. I need to enter in that place. And what I mean by perspective is, is I begin to see that while my trial can be so big, here's how much bigger God is. Sometimes my trial is bigger than me. It is. I can't figure out. I, can't, I have no clue what to do. My trial is bigger than me. But his glory gives me perspective that he's bigger than every problem, every trial. And he said, you have access to my throne room. That's where his glory is. I can enter that anytime I want. Amen. I want us to pray this morning.